Hey you, thanks for tuning into the Waiting List Podcast. I'm Long Long. I'm Daniel. And I'm Jacqueline. And we are three watch friends with a healthy obsession for watches. So sit back and relax with us while we chat with collectors, industry giants, and share some good vibes. Hi everyone, uh, welcome back to yet another episode. Uh, this one's going to be pretty Cartier heavy. So for all you Cartier uh, watch nerds out there, uh, it's going to be a good one. Um, and yes, I am queuing the actual Cartier watch nerd. Um, so today we have Watchrology, um, Elvin, on the podcast. Um, I met Elvin through Instagram, as uh, many people did. So we're very excited to actually have the opportunity to chat with you. Welcome on. Thank you so much. It's a it's a real pleasure to be on the waiting list podcast. I followed it um many times through my friends. I listened to several of your episodes as well. So uh yeah, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. That's very kind of you to say. Yeah. <laughs> so um I'm obviously a big, big Cartier fan. I have been since I started collecting, but um the goal of this interview is not only to learn about Alvin in his story, but also try to convert Daniel because as we have tried mm-hmm. so many times before, it just seems not to be working for whatever reason. So why might that be? Why don't you, okay, Daniel, why don't you like Because start- I'm a Grand Seiko fan. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Uh, that goes very well with our last episode. Um, okay, okay. So Alvin, without further ado, please, um, for many who already know you and and some who might not, can you just briefly, briefly give us a background um, story of, you know, where you came from, what are you doing right now? And just, yeah. Um, So I come from Singapore uh, and I basically work in the finance industry that is uh, insurance related. So um, I basically started collecting watches uh, 10 years ago in my army days and you know how in the army um time discipline is everything right so um before that i wasn't wearing a watch at all but in the army uh, all of us were encouraged to get a watch because uh we had to um there's a lot of time regimentation we had to follow the times follow this very strict schedule there's a uh, we are very time disciplined in the army so when we were like, we were tasked to get a watch uh, i'm the type to like uh, really research into a watch before i buy it so I just uh, researching about watches in general on Google. I came across an article on the uh, Rolex Mariner. I believe it was from Holding Key. And I was reading about, I was really fascinated after reading the article. I was so surprised by how such a tiny thing like a watch can have such um, history, can have such an impact in pop culture. And because I'm a history buff as well, I study history in uh, university. So I just kept reading about the uh, history of watches and it just... Uh, snowboard from there so my first watch i got was uh the seiko skx 007 it's a basic dive watch that's inspired by uh because back then uh obviously i was uh, inspired by the rolex submariner so my first watch was a dive watch so to speak but so the first five years of my collection i was really into like big sporty watches but um when i started going to university you know uh my lifestyle changed uh i started dressing up more um, because I was out of the army. Uh, so I started researching the dress watches. And uh, obviously Cartier is a big, it's a watch that's known for their dress watches, right? 
So uh, the first watch that uh, that really caught my attention was the Santos de Cartier. Because back then when I was transiting from uh, sports watches to dress watches, I didn't want to really fully convert to dress watches back then. So I felt that the modern Santos de Cartier was like a good middle ground between dressiness and sportiness. So um, when I got the uh, Santos de Cartier, uh, when I started wearing it for the first week or so, uh, something just um, sparked in me. The aesthetic really clicked with me uh, and just uh, started going down the uh, Cartier rabbit hole from there. So that's really how my uh, Cartier journey started. I can't really explain what clicked with me as well. This was like a serendipitous moment, you know? It was like serendipity, you know? You just can't really explain it. Like sometimes you see someone on the street, you just, uh, you know, like fall in love, something like that. It's not something that you can really explain. So that's really how my love for Cartier started. And uh, throughout my past five years of being a Cartier collector, uh, it was really fun as well. Uh, it was been very enriching experience, getting to learn, learn more about the brand. Um, for example, last year, the brand was uh, very nice to uh, fly me down to Geneva for Watches and Wonders. And uh, to get the tour of their manufacture and get to experience the, uh, go hands-on with some of the pieces from the Cartier collection, which is basically um, Cartier's own curated collection of uh, rare and historic pieces. So uh, as a fanboy, that was, uh, it was a really surreal trip. Yeah, so uh, that's been my journey thus far. And of course, uh, collecting and admiring Cartier uh, pieces along the way has been uh, really fun for me. Uh, what about like, um, how did you, start the watchrology blog what what made you want to do that uh, so um because i was inspired by uh watches uh that i see on instagram all the time like i see pictures of watches and i thought uh why not just post uh pictures of my own watches like you know reshots from time to time uh just posting watches it just started out as something for fun but then uh as more people follow i get connected to a uh, a niche community. I get to know more people, and uh, I just get started posting more and more, and just grew from there. So I felt it's a really good way to um pen my thoughts about my own collection. Um, getting to know more people, more like-minded people around my uh around my area, and uh through Instagram, I get to connect with uh, many like-minded individuals, and some of us have become uh, very close friends to this day, and it's all thanks to watchers. So I can't really imagine my life right now without watches because, uh, mm. like I said, most of my friends now, most of my very very close friends now are actually from watches. In fact, yeah, yeah. I can't see my life perfect. without watches. That's a, that's a perfect segue into my next question, which <clears throat> is, um, well, you're very active online, and I really admire you. Like because when you look at some of your uh, posts, um, you try to reply to every comment, which I find like incredible. Uh, because <laughs> like to me, I, I try to do that when, when I have time and on, you know, uh, special like uh, moments, like for my graduation post, that one, I really tried to reply to everyone, but it's a lot of work and you do know, it right? all the time. And I find that just absolutely incredible. And you, you build such a good community around there. And, and so it's, it's really great to see you do that. Um, but <clears throat> my next question is, you know, you post um, some stories at watch gatherings and primarily like in Singapore. Um, and there are a lot, I mean, from what I see, 
a lot of Cartier enthusiasts in Singapore. And I think it's kind of a rare thing because in the States, I don't really see that. Um, can you please explain maybe the nuance of that and why, um, and maybe it's an echo chamber, uh, but 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 why is it that's, that it seems uh, a lot of collectors in Singapore are so passionate about the brand? Yeah, you know, uh, I don't mean to boast, but I think uh, most of them got their watch, got their first Cartier because of uh, because of being like how I spread my interest uh, and passion to them. So back then, when I first posted uh, about Cartier's five years ago, uh, I posted in some of the Singapore watch forums, some of the Singapore watch uh, Facebook groups as well, and there's practically no Cartier pieces being posted at all. But in the past five years, um, I really seen a huge explosion of. Uh, Cartier pieces in the local scene. I know many who got their first Cartier piece uh, because of um, because they consulted me on Cartier and I educated them. Uh, I taught them uh, what's appealing about Cartier and uh, sooner or later, some of them, most of them really got it. And once they got their first Cartier piece, they started to really develop a huge interest for the brand and they started buying more and more. So I think it's a very... Um, you know, like how passion is infectious, right? So I think it's really that we infect each other with our passion. I I got a question, which is obviously right now in the community, especially in in, in Asia. My understanding is that Alvin, you, and Jacqueline, you as well, are very key people in influencing uh, more people getting into Cartier. And Jacqueline's like waving her hands right now, saying no, 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 no. <laughs> Like she clearly doesn't know the effect she she has, um, but there must have been people that you looked up to, you know, because Cartier has has been around for a long time, and the watches have been you know around for a long time, and those designs have been you know very iconic. Where did you get the information on, and who were the key people in your journey, both of you, I guess, uh, when it came to understanding Cartier? For me, it was. Um... Uh, George Kramer, who unfortunately passed in March this year. So um, his Instagram posts uh, really uh, catalyzed, sort of catalyzed mo mo uh, most of my early interest in Cartier. So I would ask him, I reach out to him a lot, um, asking him about the CPCP collection, about older Cartiers, about the movements, about the shapes. Um, yeah, so I was very fortunate to be able to meet him last year in Geneva, actually. We had a really nice chat. So uh, yeah, he was a huge inspiration to me. In my journey, I even got his uh some of his books where he wrote, wrote about Cartier as well. So I would say he is like the main inspiration for me, or in or like uh my source of knowledge when I started on out on in Cartier. And of mm -hmm. course, Jacqueline as well. She may be too humble, but <laughs> some of her pictures also got me appreciating Cartier more, especially for the smaller pieces which uh she owns. Some of the uh Tang Louis. That she owns her collection is a huge inspiration for me as well. You're too kind. <clears throat> You're too kind. Um, for me as well, George Kramer. Um, George Kramer and Roni, I would say, um, or like the first two people I reached out to. I'm sorry if there's like construction or sound. That's why I tried to mute. Um, but it's too bad. Uh, you know, we really lost a pillar um in in the community and he was just such a gentleman and and was so generous with his knowledge his 
scholarship and 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 opinions um and tasteful uh, at the same time so he <clears throat> i remember during my first trip this was right before covid i was in japan and um i was at a vintage watch shop there and me and geo were texting and i was texting him photos of some vintage tanks that i would see in this in this um in this vintage shop and I was like, what is this? I've never seen, I've never seen this. And he would, you know, give me the information on the tank and he was from the forties, his back winding. And I remember so clearly that it was because of Geo that I had learned about a model that I've never seen before, um, even like from photos. And then I just so happened to be there and I saw it in person. And that was the reason why it then um, initiated me to look for it. And that was like uh, the first uh, vintage tank that I bought, which mm. is the Tankabu with the backwinding mechanism, which I still have. And um, so I, I thank him for all he's, you know, done knowingly or unknowingly for, for the collectors in this community. Yes, I agree. He's amazing. And he's very um, passionate. He's very kind in sharing his knowledge and his interacts a lot with his uh, fan base as well exactly exactly um yeah so <clears throat> alvin my next um question is <clears throat> i mean you take such beautiful photos of of your watches and obviously you 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 are like a one brand guy um and recently well not really recently but within the past few years you've been um you know I guess selected is the right word to do um, a few uh, PS unique through the NSO process. Um, I've gotten a lot of questions and, and DMs regarding this whole process. So for someone like you, who's been through it, not just once, not just twice, but a couple of times, can you tell our audience and basically like satiate their curiosity uh, surrounding this program, what, how is it like, what's the design process and what you feel about it in its entirety? Yeah. So the, uh, the custom order program from Cartier, I believe is a very good way of, uh, expressing some of your own, uh, aesthetic taste and yet combining it with the uh, Cartier shapes that we know and love. So, um, basically in order to do a special order, you definitely need to have some kind of relationship with the brand or some kind of uh, spending with the brand. So um, it's a very simple method of just reaching out to the brand and asking uh, and requesting to do a special order. And once they agree to let you do the special order, you would send in uh, details about what, what do you want customized of the watch. So you say like um, watch case shape you would want the watch to be, um, what material do you want the watch to be, uh, the kind of dial, uh, the kind of hands, so on and so forth. Uh, they will even, even let you choose the, uh, the, the, the color of the strap. And uh, once you send in all your requested information, uh, Cartier, if they allow, if they allow you to do what you requested, they will print, they will have one of their artists do a render for you. And if all is good, then you just proceed. You basically have to pay a deposit first before you wait you wait another year for it so the whole process takes around a year and uh if some of your design specifications don't work out cartier would tell you what doesn't work and they would either suggest changes or they'll ask you to um 
suggest some new recommendations to them. So that's how it works. It's a it's a process of um, it's a very uh, mutually agreeable process. I would say, mm -hmm. where both sides have to agree on their own terms. Okay, yeah, that's that's really helpful. Um, so yeah, to those who are listening, and we I think we've discussed this before when we had Roni on. Um, what's your personal take on, you know, uh, creating something unique? And obviously wanting to share with the community because you've waited so long and it's a strenuous process. <clears throat> and then it ends up, you know, someone really liking the design and asking for the same thing. What what What's your personal take on that? Right. Um, on every render that Cartier issues to you, uh, there's actually a clause at the site that says that Cartier reserves the right to uh, fully replicate the design. But uh, from what I heard, Cartier usually wouldn't do that. They would advise the requester to make some changes so that it doesn't look exactly the same. But uh, regarding that, obviously if I'm the owner of the first piece, I would feel a bit gutted that it's no longer the uh, a, unique, a unique piece, so to speak. But from my point of view, from the outset, it was made known to me that uh, there's no guarantee there will be a unique piece. So that's where it's at. Because at the case back, they don't even write uh, number one out of one. They just write the year and then slash number one because there could be a, someone who does the number two. Hmm. I just want to say, like, you know, there's a lot of pateks even at, you know, at the auction house, right? Where you do the research and it's always like, we believe there is like one of three or one of five. There's actually quite a mystery of, you know, not knowing exactly how many pieces. And I'm talking way ahead in the future, right? when these things become more vintage and then it's like, Oh, how many actually exist? And it's these kind of non clear parameters that are actually so attractive within the watch community. If you actually know that it's just one of one, it's like, wow, that's amazing. But then the discussion kind of can always end there. Right. And it's very exciting when, a piece, another piece comes onto the market that you never knew existed. And then you actually think, oh, what was the provenance of that piece? Right. I I think, uh, I guess even probably now, right, the word like unique piece is getting somewhat like too much coverage because it, everybody's like looking for these unique pieces, unique pieces, rather than, you know, is the piece just special? You know, does it even look good, right? Yeah, so I tend not to call my uh, special orders uh, piece uniques because I know uh, there's no guarantee that will be piece uniques. So I just tend to call them special orders or like customized Cartiers. Mm. In fact, I think the brand has uh, encouraged me not to use the word piece unique as well. Right, right. okay. Yes. But like coming, coming, coming like from this from a person that isn't like Jacqueline or you that is so into Cartier, right? Cartier to me is such a big universe. And I look at a lot of their designs. Oh, yeah, that's nice. That's nice. That's nice too. But let's say you're on a limited budget or, you know, what do you go for first, you know, to tip your toes into, into Cartier, would you say? For me, I would go with, um, for the modern collection, I'll go with the uh, standard uh, tank mast or the uh, oh. steel... Santos okay. Cartier. I think those are really some of the uh, the essence of Cartier that is uh that you're able to get at uh at uh, at a very good price. 
And one of the things that I love about Cartier most is uh, they have a very distinct design language. You know, they have so many uh, very different eccentric um, non-conforming cases, but you can you are able to tell that they are Cartier from far. Mm. And also the fact that they can derive like creative inspiration from objects that seem to be um, everyday mundane objects, such as the uh, a bathtub that was the inspiration for their Bang Noir. Uh, the Totti shell that was the inspiration for the Cartier Tortue. So I think it's how these um, creative inspiration uh, really make the brand, give the brand a sense of playfulness that uh, seems to be missing for me for other brands that makes uh, collecting Cartier uh, a pretty fun process for me. Knowing about the history uh, of the designs, how they are inspired, I think that's one of the uh, key factors for my love for Cartier. Okay. I actually get yeah. I actually get uh, because of how unique their cases are, how uh, eccentric they are, how whimsical they are. I actually get a lot of um, questions from like total strangers in the public, like a lot of questions about about Cartier. So I think that's where their attractiveness lies in is in their design. Mm. So for someone like you who's you know seen so many Cartiers and is so familiar. What is it that you wish to acquire, you know, like going forward? Yeah, I think this would be, my answer would probably be the same as many other who are into Cartier's. I guess you guys could probably guess uh, it's a crash because uh, for what I mentioned earlier, for all that I love about Cartier, about its eccentricity, about its whimsicality, I think that the crash is the watch that uh, really magnifies these in uh, a lot of aspects. So yeah, the crash is, really symbolizes Cartier to me. It it, it personifies uh, all that I love about Cartier. Mm. I believe that Jack is a huge fan of the Crash as well. And, and the funny thing is, you know, um, Jacqueline, you have the Crash Reduce, right? Yeah, well, I was told that five years ago, uh, there was a piece sitting in a Singapore boutique and nobody wanted to pick it up. So, but fast forward to, fast forward to today, um, crashes are almost sold even before they're released to the public. So I think it's a lot of uh, market perception of the crash as well. Yeah, but I'm not me, surprised. Uh, yeah. Um, even like after I got my crash, right, which I did not get from Cartier directly, um, mm -hmm. I remember I got it in um, December of 2019. Um, and it really like crash started blowing up uh, summer of 2020. And I remember, like, even then, I saw um, Harrods London on the website. Like, I think this was in January or February. And they, they had one, like, uh, fully disclosed that we have this. Um, and I saw it. And I was like, oh, interesting. Like, I thought it was released in 2018. And it's still not sold out. Um, and even when I ordered the London one, it was like, it, it was just a plain email and it was like oh yeah sure you want it the next one is may 2023 uh you have to wait three years and i was like whoa okay well sure i mean i wasn't in that much of a rush because i already had my radius so i i felt you know compelled to wait for it and um fast forward three years later um yeah it's become something of its own um, which I'm happy for the brand as well, um, but it's it's a whole it's a whole other craziness.
Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you, you guys mentioned like the crash and uh, Alvin, you know, you're wearing the pebble today. You know, there's also probably in recent memory, Cartier have pushed out, you know, the cloche and a lot of these designs, although they existed in the past, were not very well known within like, you know, the world and even, in, you know, to some, some extent, the community. What do you think the next piece is from Cartier design language that is in the past will actually come to the fore and people will recognize and think, oh, that's the, that's the next piece that we should be getting, you know, that will become like somewhat quote unquote hyped. Mm. Yeah. Um, throughout the past year, I've actually heard of a lot of people requesting for a new Maxi Oval or a Tango Guiche, the drum hour the jump hour oh, Cartier. Right. So uh, I think if they do release a Maxi Oval next year, I think it would be, the hype would be way off the charts. In the past year, uh, uh, I couldn't really explain why, but many people started getting into like the Maxi Oval, the Benoit Longes, you know, the uh, the one that's like oval and elongated. That's a watch that uh, I think many people are actually uh, getting more interested in. And also uh, the Tang Basculon. The one that uh, mm, where you can yeah. flip and pivot around, yeah, that is uh, becoming a very popular piece as well. Both of them are becoming very popular in the vintage market. So if they do really, if they do re-release one next year, I believe it'll be super popular. Yeah, the tank basculons has the added addition of being actually physically playful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bit like and, and, a reverse though. Just your hand just goes to like if you ever have one of these watches and you leave it on the table and there's some watch watch collectors there. Someone, some you'll always have one person just like messing around with it and just constant like a like a what's it called um fidget thing. Was it just it right? Yeah, they just keep messing yeah, around yeah. with your watch. <laughs> I mean, you, until you go like, yeah, can you stop that, please? <laughs> right, right. We all know well. it. I mean... We all know it. <laughs> I'm speaking from experience. Yes, that does happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, what about vintage? Are you are you interested? I mean, we, we were just talking about vintage. You you, you yourself mentioned that you know the Tank Cliche, mm -hmm. the Bang Noir, the Maxi Oval, and the the Basculant are really popular uh, in the vintage scene because there's no, I guess, modern iteration um like so so modern um have you ever been attracted to vintage offerings from the brand yes i've been super interested into uh some of the historic offerings from the brand especially those from cartier london from the uh, 60s and 70s and i believe you're a huge fan of those as well but um the prices for those right now unfortunately are pretty astronomical right I just, crazy especially I just, those I just, from cartier I just got one uh, a, a, like very classic London. Um, uh, tank. oh, you just posted that recently, right? Yeah, I I, I got yes. it. When I was I I wasn't looking for it. Uh, I I happened to be in London to pick up my crash, oh. and I was just shopping around, and um, I ended up picking two Tank Louise that was just completely not like I did not plan for it, not not expecting, and um the the prices for them definitely uh like is it worth it like it, how 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 do you weigh it right is an emotional thing it's it's so different when you look at it because you you i guess 
for me, I'm pretty rational sometimes, but most of the time I'm completely like emotion driven. And when I first saw it, I'm like, wow, it was my first time seeing a Cartier London of any iteration in person. And I thought this is different. This is like a complete, and it might sound exaggerated, um, but I really thought this is a new thing. This is like another watch. It's so different, even though it's 99% the same. Um, and then when I asked for the price, it was like, oh, it was, I was expecting like 50% less, you know, from what he quoted me. And it took me a while to be like, when's the next time you're going to run into an original yeah. London tank? And how much would it be next time you run into it? You know, it might be less, it might most likely be more. So I had to just buckle the belt and I bought a London one from the 60s. And I also bought one that wasn't London, but it was a really early tank Louis. Like it was from the 40s. It's uh, completely uh, patinated. Like the dial has turned in a, like a different color. And I bought that because I thought it matched my Beignoir, which also has pat like natural patination. Um, I'm wearing the London one today. I brought it with me to New York. Um, and it's just, yeah, I think it's pretty great. If you, if you can see it. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Super nice. It's very modern, you know, right. um, for its age. So, yeah. I think one of the big charms of, uh, to me personally, of the uh, early London Cartiers are uh, the cursive fonts, right? Yes. The cursive Cartier yes. font really adds some kind of uh, elegance. Yes. Some sort, of, some form of a uh, playfulness and romance to the doll. Yes. And I actually requested for the cursive font in one of my uh, custom Cartiers, but uh, it was rejected, unfortunately. I really hope yeah. they would. Uh, yeah, I really hope they would bring back uh, a Cartier with with a cursive font on the dial, like how they do with one of these uh, anniversary editions. I think that would be pretty sick. I, wow. I have heard that, that too. Rage. I, I, yeah, I have heard that too. And, and they would reject it, um, at least for the time being. It was, now we're having car, uh, collector talk. Uh, when I saw this in person, I asked them, how come the font is not cursive? <laughs> and they said, well, it's, like handmade there was no template it just depends on um what the watchmaker was like what they had in mind and then i found oh, cool. and then i found a photo of a collector a collector in the u.s who has four of these there's a photo on instagram with four of this tank like the same uh with you know obviously like different ones but like the dial almost looked the same one was extremely white um and a lot of them like had uh, wears and tears on the dial and patination but what i found funnily was was all four of them were not cursive were, were just a regular typewritten font so when i saw that i was like, okay yeah maybe for this model it's it's just you know most of them are not cursive but even the one that um, one of them, one out of the four, had like, an extremely white dial. And this one is kind of like creamish white, you know. And that one was extremely white. So one of the comments was, hey, is that like a service dial? Um, and he is very knowledgeable in vintage Cartier. The collector, he was like, no, it's just different variation. 
because again, they were handmade. So I mean, I think that's another allure of, um, you know, vintage uh, Cartier London and maybe why they're um, quite sought after. Um, I, I found an article online saying that there are a total of less than 200 London pieces produced of all uh, models. I don't know if that's true, um, but I know like mo the most famous ones would be the Centres and the Maxi Ovals and etc. Yeah. Yeah, I think the handmade factor is a huge, uh, huge appeal of the early London Cartiers. I believe uh, some of the early London crashes, they're all handmade as well because they don't have a fixed mold. So if you notice uh, some of the early crashes, uh, the ridges of the case, uh, some of this, the meanders of the case, they're all very different. Some are more pronounced than others. So yeah, the handmade factor is a huge appeal of early Cartiers. Yeah, I think... You know, if they were not so high in price, it would, I think it would actually be something more beautiful. It, 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 hear, hear it's, it's like, you know, there's a barrier to entry because during COVID, Cartier really boomed, right? And when I was buying them pre-COVID, I was paying like really, you know, ridiculous prices compared to now. And it's kind of, you know, a pity that something like this has gotten so high in value that you might not find another one within the same value that you can find today. And because we do want, we do want to appreciate them, but at certain point, the barrier to entry is just so high that it kind of forbids you from appreciating them in person. Um, and then the question comes like do you need do you need to own certain pieces to be able to appreciate them and then you know people have different takes on that so but for for me like with vintage and i'm so glad that to hear that you're you're also you know attracted to vintage pieces for me the the certain allure to an old time piece is you know they're not as colorful or different as the ones produced today um now like some of the lacquered santos Dumont, which i think is beautiful but you can't really find that in the vintage era but it's just simply good you know they're not special special they're just good watches um and i think that's what attracts me to to vintage and you don't and the serendipi serendipity factor that you talked about alvin earlier with vintage it's all serendipitous like i wasn't really looking for that right, right. you you end up finding things from here and there that you don't know what you will find and um it's kind of like an adrenaline rush because when you do find it you have to decide like right there and then most likely if you want it or not if you don't want it okay on to the next thing or the dealer might be okay on to the next buyer um, so you really, it, it also like limits you to, okay, make a decision. Here's the pros, here's the cons, here's what I'm thinking. And, um, when you're limited, when you're confined, maybe that's when you're even more motivated to, to, to seek within yourself and, and, uh, ask like, what am I looking for? Like, why do I like this? Um, so it's also like a weirdly twisted love, hate relationship. Um, yeah. 
yeah, for vintage pieces, it's a lot of emotions involved. But um, are you concerned about the uh, serviceability of your vintage Cartiers? Because I had this co uh, conversation with Daniel earlier before you joined. Uh, I would love to get into vintage Cartiers, but one of the things that the biggest issue holding me back is, you know, it's like serviceability, um, how dainty they are and all that sort of thing. So 100%. what are some A hundred percent. And by the way, like vintage in my mind is now like pre-70s or pre-CPCP. Pre um, yes, yes. Yeah. But but like there's really old stuff that's still considered vintage. So, so now what I'm looking at is pre-70s. Um, and that's a huge concern and, and, and of good reason because uh, I bought another London um bang noir on uh, via auction and from from an auction house and um during transit the watches dial which as you know are like hand painted and like enameled mm -hmm. very very lightly on top to make the paint um stay uh for whatever you know unknown reason the one part of the dial though minimal fell out and 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 cracked uh, okay. and it wasn't like that in the condition report nor the photos so when i received it and it was at the bottom of the dial and i received it um like i got home and then i was able to pick it up so it was already at night and uh there was no natural so i i was studying it and then like after a while i realized huh that looks a little bit different than the photos i was sent so i went back to look at the condition report in the photos okay so it did not it wasn't there in the photos so then i had to go on and i'm still in the process of getting my money back from the auction house which then they need to get the money back from the insurance company um but before we went through that claim the un the insurance company did write me several emails and be like what is the repairability uh the possibilities of repair and, and service for mm -hmm. something like this yeah, and, nice one. and and uh, perfectly reasonable right because they don't know that it's a vintage London and vintage London Cartiers are hand painted dials. They, they, it's perfectly reasonable to say, Hey, like, how do we service this? You send it back to Cartier and they just give you a new dial. In that case, we just, we just compensate you for the, the charges. So yeah. I had to write very detailedly, excuse me, you cannot repair it. Not only is it because it's vintage, right? But it's hand painted it's yes, not yes. like a stamp there's no template and even though the dial is not destroyed like there's not a giant crack that runs from 12 to 6 it's just a little bit of a crack but that's still visible you can't like glue the paint back on um so i had to write you know it's it's very sad like i'd rather have the watch than the money but it was not in the state that was presented to me. I don't know what happened during transit or whatever. I can only tell you that even if you could repair it, I wouldn't want it because it's not original. Yeah. It wasn't yes, yes. when it presented to me. And I think, and it's still not settled. They're going back and forth and it's been, I mean, this happened in February. So, so four months, uh, almost four months. 
and um it is a it is a concern so like even with this one it's not the dial is not perfect you know you cannot have a i mean you can but for me i'd much rather for it to not be perfect because it's lived a life if it was pristine and never worn then i don't think i would wear it but i was very uh, ocd with my watches when i first started like everything had to be perfect i don't want a single stain on a 40 year old watch if i saw one i would pass on it now i think i'm more flexible with that regard because i think i'm i, I appreciate it for for what it, what it is which i wasn't doing before um and that's also another factor that would stop a lot of people from going into vintage because people want pristine nice shiny things right and that's also very reasonable with, with that kind of story i think you just put alvin off like honestly who, who wants to deal with that no, 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 february no. onto yeah. june the four it, months right of just yeah. pure shit yeah i think i think uh since you work in phillips you are very familiar with all these right do these happen very often mm, I, I haven't come across it with my clients yeah but then okay. i wouldn't say my client list is exactly huge right now because I haven't worked very long and I'm just still figuring things out um okay okay that that generally isn't an issue like when when clients come to me about issues it, it's not really about the watch to be honest yeah yeah but like it's, uh it's sad because like Alvin do you know what I mean like it's not about the money sure you know that you're gonna yes, get your yes. money back it's just I could have added this and to to with intent, like I, I I chose it out of intent. I'm curating a collection. It would have fit in that empty little slot that I had my eye on for so long. And then it got destroyed. Maybe it might be a, like a too heavy of a word. It's not destroyed, but it's just, it's not how it looked like when you had that intent originally. Taken away from you. It's taken away from, yeah, it's robbed from you kind of fe feeling. And, yeah, we totally feel the same. Yeah, it doesn't feel the same. And you're like, you know, people might think it's just a little missing paint. Like, why are you being so, you know, over your head on it? Like, it's still a great watch. Like, but then for me, it's um, I don't want to settle for uh, I don't want to say mediocrity. It's not that it's just it's different. It's changed. The I wonder I wonder, like, if. You receive the watch and you talk about the stains and how you get degradation in the dial and the patina and, and all this, right? And this had happened while in your possession and it became part of the watch's story, right? Would you see it in the same light? Um, I think it depends. I think if it were a modern watch, and I scratched it while wearing it, I wouldn't mind it as much. But because it's vintage, I would actually guilt trip myself if I had destroyed it. Or And I'm very careful with my watches. And then what would you do? Would you sell it? Or would you still keep it? That's a very good question. Like For vintage? Yeah. So I'm saying if this watch, right, that has been haunting you for the last four months, if what had happened hadn't been in the logistics had been, I don't know, six months to a year in your possession, the same thing happened, what would you do? Then I think I would keep it. 
Yeah, because, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it's because because yeah. I've been I've I've had it in my possession. I've lived with it for six to a year, yeah. versus receiving the night of and then finding out that it's faulted. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I like that question. So it, in essence, it it's the story that comes with the watch, right? And we were discussing stories today with um, Stephen Pulverend. Yeah, and it's it's so interesting because the timing of what had happened and you in the lifespan of the watch or the watch's journey and you just happened to be at this particular time but the next person may not know that story right and they will assess the watch as it is and then they may or may not buy it and it will have no impact at all but it's just a very i just you know i'm not saying it's right or wrong i'm just saying it's a very interesting part of collector psyche no, it is. And yeah. I, I, I will add one more thing. Um, when, when it comes to selling a watch, it's also the same thing. And because when for me, like I don't keep, I don't have all the watches I bought. Um, for me, when it, when I make a decision when to sell something, it's also like, hey, have I made memories with it? Um, and that's a big factor. If I don't wear something for various reasons, then I will sell it. And I have been asked this question, like, it's a perfectly, it's rare, you know, what you're selling and you might not find it easily again. Why are you selling it? Why don't you just keep it? Well, there's monetary issues. And secondly, like, that's the biggest issue. Uh, secondly is like, I feel bad when I and maybe just me, and I want to pose this question to Alvin as well later. Like, I feel bad when I don't wear something and it's just sitting there. And then I start thinking, okay, if I'm not wearing it and somebody might enjoy a lot more, why? what's the point of me just keeping it there and, and, and not doing anything with it? And when James came on from Drawn Hutong, we had this conversation it's like i will see it if i haven't worn it in like two months i'll be okay i have to wear it today and then when i wear it out all i'm thinking is like the reason why i'm wearing it out is because i have not wore you in two months and i feel terrible and now i'm, I'm not even thinking about the watch anymore i'm thinking about why i'm wearing you out um and then i that's why i sell it what about you elvin yeah i totally feel the same way as you as well uh there are times when i wear a watch that i've not worn for long and i'm just like uh the reason I'm wearing you today is because I've not worn you in a long time. So yeah. I totally feel what you're feeling. But the thing about watches is uh, like what we discussed earlier, it's a lot of uh, emotions involved. It's a lot of emotional attachment that is uh, priceless. You know, when you sell the watch to another person, the uh, the sort of the memories don't go to the other person. It only stays with you. Mm. So uh, those kinds of watches that uh, are more sentimental to you, I believe those are uh, as a We'll always, have, we'll always have a place in your collection. Yeah. So um, for me, I mostly keep watches that uh, re tend to resonate with me more in terms of like emotionally, in terms of uh, memories, stories, yeah. and what they remind me of. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's great. So for vintage watches as well, uh, for example, if you buy a 50-year-old watch, you may not know it's a uh, 50-year-old history, but its history only starts with you. So... um. It's kind of a interesting way to think about vintage watches. Like, are they vintage? I mean, they are vintage in terms of uh, 
how they are seen in terms of physicality, they are vintage, but uh, the memories with you may be modern, so to speak. It's just something that I'm thinking of. Yeah, for for me as well. I for me, whenever I buy an old watch, I see it. it um, I feel grounded when when I hold something that's a lot older than I am, um, because I know that if this is taken care of well, um, it will outlive me, and it and it already have. Um, so for me, I see it more like I'm the custodian of this thing might not have to be watches for the period of time that I can be with it. And if anything happens and I do have to let it go and I have to sell it, then I want to be sure that I took care of it. And I did not destroy a part of, you know, history. So, and that's right, right. another reason why, you know, it's difficult to wear vintage sometimes because when it's humid or when you live in a tropical area with, you know, really harsh AC and then whatever, you can't really wear most of the vintage things for apparent reason. And that's why it's also important to have modern things. And another, like to bring it back full circle, why I think what Cartier is doing with the NSO program, you know, is so great because you can kind of recreate like a London-esque tank in a mm -hmm. modern centre uh, or, or tank um, with the bold numerals and whatnot, like elongated uh, without worrying that you're wearing a 60-year-old timepiece. Um, yeah, and that's how they are releasing these uh, anniversary editions, like the uh, 100 anniversary Tanks on Tray and the uh, 15 anniversary Pebble. Yeah, I think those, yeah, that's why nowadays I'm leaning more towards like uh, vintage-inspired modern pieces. You know, you get the best of both worlds. You get like the vintage aesthetic. Well, not really vintage, but you do get most of the vintage aesthetic in a modern reliable case and movement. Mm -hmm. So that's my, my preference these days. Okay, and so that's... in Singapore it's especially hot as well. In Singapore it's especially yeah. hot, it's especially humid. I was just gonna it's say it's really hard to wear vintage pieces, right? Yeah. So that that's actually my last question before we go on a reversal round is what's next for you? What's next for me? Hmm. Crash. Uh, <laughs> <I wish. laughs> no, but, uh, I mean, like the watch, but what 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 area, like what direction are you going for? Yeah, um, actually... Or different brands, you know? Like, that could be a possibility. Different brands. Um, not... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. No, just like looking Fair at enough. Alvin, you ask him that oh, question, it's like asking him, want a new girlfriend or something like that. His face was like... Uh, no, no, you're like, want a new mom? <laughs> want yeah. new parents? It's, it's, it's exactly that feeling. You know, Katia has sort of become my identity right now. If I don't wear Katia, I'll feel naked. Mm. You know, my friends give me this nickname. They give me a, they call me Alvin Cartier Chong or ACC for short. Yeah. So it's sort of become a, it's sort of become a ingrained in my identity. Yeah. So um, yeah. what's next for me in terms of watches? Uh, for Cartiers, I'm really looking into like new vintage pieces for now. Before I maybe translate into like some of the vintage pieces, like those from the 60s, 70s. This would probably take me five years to fully become comfortable with them. But uh, in terms of modern offerings, I actually really like the uh, new Tang Normals in bracelet. I think the bracelet is stunning. Um, 
the the brushing on the bracelet, uh, and the fact that Cartier really does brush bracelets for their watches, I think it's a really good. It will be a really good addition to a collection. Right. Yeah, I've never seen them in person. I I still want to hold one. Um, I bet they have to be amazing. Yeah. No, for sure. Okay, reversal round. Please ask away to your heart's content. Yeah, maybe so I'll ask uh, Jacqueline. If you were to uh, order a custom Cartier, how would you do it? <laughs> uh, ask a different question <laughs> because you'll see. <laughs> um, oh, all right. Yeah, yeah, I I uh I started the process uh for a few, but I don't I don't know how long it's gonna take. Like it's it it's gonna be summer vacation soon, so I don't know if they're gonna be in the office or whatnot. It's it's a waiting game again. Oh, okay, fair enough, fair enough. So uh, you recently got the uh London crash, right? The London boutique crash. Yeah. Yeah, so I was just interested in knowing more about the process and uh, what do you think about the watch now that you have it in your collection for, I think, like two weeks? I believe you said you waited three three years for the watch, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so long story short, um, it was another, It was a waiting game. It's the longest that I've waited for anything. It was the first watch I ever put my name down. And before there was even the waiting list podcast, like I didn't even know that, you know, what the waiting list entailed. And that's actually a waiting list. And, you know, the, the reason why we, you know, kind of ironic waiting list podcast name is we talked about like, is the waiting list made up, you know, just to hinder people or be prestigious. But that's actually like a waiting list. That's a proper waiting process. Um, because the crash was introduced in 1967, uh, the brand decided to release 67 pieces of the original, um, well, the, the 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 homage to the original uh, crash. So um, what I heard, and this is what the brand told me, is um, aside from releasing one per month, which they decided from the get-go, um, Cartier... Uh, because you can order crashes through the custom uh, department, but the silver dial, yellow gold combination um, is, you, you cannot get that. And it's funny because that's like yes, the yes. most basic, uh, simple mm. choice that you cannot get. But um, aside from that, what makes that watch so, so special to me is um, uh, the, the stamp on the back. You know, with the custom pieces, it's going to say number one, the year. Um, but that right. one has the London Bond Street stamp, which takes up like almost the entire entirety of the case back, um, which I think is is great. It's a great way. They, they did a great job to pay homage to the original London Bond Street crash. Um, right. Aside from that, you know, I waited three years because they released one every month. And um, the run is going to be done by the end of this year. So mine was the 60th and mine was the May 2023 allocation. So there's going to be seven more uh, behind me and they're going to finish the 67th run. Um, I picked that up at a time when I had just finished finals. I, I was moving. 
I um, was tired and, and, you know, I don't really do well on planes because I can't really fall asleep. Um, so I made that trip out for that watch. And it was coming full circle because when I first ordered it, I still have, you know, all the email correspondence. I still have the text message. Um, my, my, my friend at Cartier sent me, it was like, deposit received your crash is secured uh in in uh. 2020 and and i remember exactly where i was when i received that text um i was just telling my friend like i associate different like you tell me something i'm not remember it right there and then but if i do i most likely will remember where i was and when it is and time of day so i remember where i was when i received that um and just when I walked into the boutique again, um, cause I'd been there before, uh, and, and she said, we sat down and we were like, and she knows me well. She's like espresso. I'm like, yeah, I need like four of them. Um, and then she's like, do you want to do it now or do it later? Uh, meaning like bring the watch out. I said, <laughs> let's do it later. <laughs> let's talk <laughs> because, uh, I, I need to, I need, I need to, you know, I needed to come to me first. I, I have not, it's not real yet. It, it, so, so after we talked for a while, he's like, are you ready? I'm like, oh, I don't think I am, but I, like, you're yeah. going to <laughs> so, um, so she was like, okay, one, 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 one minute. And then she went away and, uh, I, I brought out my phone because, oh yeah, because I, I always wanted to document the process. Um, right. because when I was in, like in 2020, there's that unknown factor. You wouldn't know where in your life you would be. You didn't know how long COVID would drag on. So I thought, you know, I would be in Asia by then. And I would, you know, f- make a long trip back to Europe to get it. So, but I always wanted to document it and, and ended up, you know, I finished school after being, taking time off. Um, and it wouldn't have, it, it worked out perfectly. So I documented the entire process. So when she left, I was like, oh yeah, I have to, I have to video this. Cause I, you know, I was like, I forgot to even have my phone out. Um, and she walked in with this huge box and opened it up. We set the strap. Um, and then I wore it back to the U S and, um, ended up wearing it on commencement and and I think the day after commencement that's when I made the little post and um published the video so that to me is and we've had this conversation before it's like what's your most memorable like special watch and my 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 answer has always been and I don't know because you know it was covid and I didn't have the opportunity to travel with my watches and make memories you know so for me, like that watch is, it's three years of my life and I went to get it. I wore it on commencement. People were looking at me funnily because I was winding it. And then the person who's sitting next to me during senior send-off was like, that's a cool looking watch. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. like, thank you. Um, and, uh, I made memories with it. I, I photographed, I mean, I brought my cat and then I photographed it with me and you can see me wearing the watch in those photos. Um, yeah, so look at it now. Yeah. Looks good, man. Looks good. 
yeah, I guess uh, for me, before I get a crash, I'll probably feel very overwhelmed as well. Like, really surreal. Like, am I really getting a crash? I think it goes back to what we said about, you know, memories, right? For yours, it lines up very nicely with your commencement day. So I think um, that's uh, one huge way to start off your journey with peace. So, yeah. Yeah, so really that's cool. so I started making memories with that watch, but you know, oh, being overwhelmed, I, um, I didn't really get overwhelmed. It wasn't like the watch is here and I'm like, oh, it took my breath away because we all know what a <laughs> like, right, you know, right, it's right. not like the most, uh, you know, beautiful thing you've seen in your life. Um, I don't think anyone, you know, it's 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 not a necessity, you know. So for me, it's really just, oh, wow, three years flew by. Yes, yes, yes. It was like, am I ready to accept that it's already time? So so that, I think, was the most um, surreal factor for me. And then the watch, of course, like, we all know what it is. We we know what, what it wears like. Um, and when you put it on, it's, it's I mean, it's kind of larger than what it is you know the what social yes. media and the community has made it to be it's just a watch like you wear it it's it's not heavy it's not like you don't feel it there because it's it's small and it's just you know a little gold watch um the shape is so alternative but when you wear it it's not like oh i'm wearing something that reminds you of what it is you don't really feel it mm-hmm. it's it's very light um, I think again, it's the social media factor that's made it so much. For sure, for sure. Then, yeah. Like how we said, five years ago, practically, uh, nobody wanted to crash. Yeah. But they were sitting in the boutiques, but um, social media certainly elevated its image among collectors. For sure. So, so I think it's you know, it's so cliche, but buy what you like and what speaks to you. Um, and that's what I'm trying to do. Like I'm with the vintage things. Well, first of all, I can't get the modern things, you know, it's so difficult to get some of the modern pieces from the big brands now. So for me, it's more about, um, finding, you know, the things and again, serendipity, you don't know when you're going to find what and making the story with it that way. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm excited for you. If you, if you do find your first vintage piece, I'm sure you'll be able to document it and, and share it with the community. So um, yeah, yeah. looking forward to that. We want the first to know for sure. Yeah, good. Okay, um, moving on to Daniel. Uh, I know you've, you've dealt in Philips and uh, you were part of the, I mean, you created Shanghai Watch Gang, right? Previously part of Shanghai Watch Gang. So just curious, uh, what do you find is like, uh, the common traits among some of the big collectors or like established collectors. Oh, what do you? What would you say is like the common trait between the, the big collectors? Yeah, or like established collectors, people with. Uh, yeah, that's the thing. Like sometimes you think a big collector, yeah, isn't maybe in our what we would like to think. Maybe you know mm-hmm. because. Uh, First of all, for you to have a big collection, you have to be pretty affluent to afford the pieces. Um, and I find that when you have the ability to acquire so many pieces, the desire to discern 
between each piece is somewhat lessened because you don't have a budget mm -hmm. and therefore you're not looking to maximize um, your return, right? Um, because you could buy all of them, right? Right. And therefore, perhaps the knowledge of each watch may not be to the depth that you know a person with a, a lesser collection in terms of numbers uh, would have. Um, and also, when you get to a certain amount of watches, most of those watches are either going into the bank, you know, or they are going into your private vault. And, um, you know, earlier in the podcast, Jacqueline mentioned a scenario where if she's not wearing the watch, she feels mm -hmm. a disconnection with the watch and then perhaps wants to move it on. Um, when you have, let's say, even over 300 watches, or let's just make it simple, 365 watches. Okay. Those, some of those watches are not going to be worn um, right. even once a year. And so yeah. the mentality uh, of the collector is so different. Um, it's collecting, stroke, maybe hoarding. Um, when there is a, a clear theme to a collection, it always puts also a limitation on what you collect. It's right. when, you know, you have these like, big collections and they could buy everything and actually uh, there is no theme and therefore there's no thought. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that sounds very unkind, but, and maybe my understanding of that is uh, wrong, but that's what it seems like. Um, in terms of, I mean, cringe time for Jacqueline. In my eyes, Jacqueline is a big collector, you know, not in terms of volume, but in terms of how she has collected in such a short space of time and gained experience of the pieces that she's acquired. Um, there are collectors which have a large number of watches and also dedicate a huge amount of time to understanding every single piece. Yeah, there are. And I find that absolutely astounding because that is a huge time commitment, you know, given to the piece where they can go to every single piece Obviously, they can tell you how they got it, but they can tell you exactly everything about the piece that they could find on the internet, just like that, off their head. That, to me, is impressive. And, yeah, uh, and the top as well. Yeah. Like, there is, even if they collect cross-brand, cross-category, there is still a theme there. In, right. and, their, and their taste is reflected in that. So, if there's anything that to be a trend is the, the fact that a lot of these collectors are actually very, very still unique in the way they collect. There isn't one size fits all on, in terms of the big collectors. You, you really get to see even more macroscopically how that person's personality is. It's almost magnified in a way. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, I believe watches are a huge window into a, a person's lifestyle, their personality yeah. as well. What you wear, I believe, uh, strongly reflects um, the wearer. So it's really interesting to me how you could yeah. know about someone just based on the watches that they wear. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that game, 
it's kind of like a game for me. Like when I go to the preview and I see people coming in, looking at the watches and just figuring out, you know, asking the right questions and figuring where their taste is and, and, you know, where along their journey is and, and, you know, what really makes them tick. You know, everybody has certain watches they, they chase and they look for. And that excitement you see in someone's eyes is, is, you know, just brings you to life in right. a way, because this is someone that is so passionate about something that you care as much for. Right. And I think that's really hard to find that human connection. Um, and also a reminder of, you know, where you were at certain points of your journey and what your, what your right. thoughts were at that certain time. And then you think there's a certain resonance, right. When that certain person is going through the same thing. Mm. Yeah. And it's cool to see um, how varied uh, people's tastes and preferences are for watchers, because if everyone has the same taste, then uh, watch gatherings, watch collecting, uh, would be a very mundane kind of thing. Mm. Also, yeah. it's very cool to see how your tastes and preferences change over time uh, as a collector change. yourself. And, and they change a lot. They change, a lot. They change um, a lot. When I started out this hobby, I was into like big, sporty, chunky watches. The total opposite of what I'm into right now. If you told me 10 okay, years ago, that would be say it. Panerai. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I was never into Panerai, but, but yeah. <laughs> Often like huge dive watches. Um, if you told me ten years ago that I would be into like dainty Cartiers right now, I would have laughed. I wouldn't have believed it. Yeah, but that's the fun of the watch collecting, right? Seeing how you change over time as a person as or, or evolution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so, yeah. so, so, have we converted you, Daniel? Uh, <laughs> I'll look into it. You're very stubborn. <laughs> Why don't you just? No, I'll look into it. I'll look into it, Jack. Can you chill out? <laughs> I'll look into it. I need to find the right one. I, I was telling um, Alvin, for me, Cartier has somewhat too much flair that I can control, that I can't control. You know, okay. when I put that watch on, is it a self? Is it a reflection of me? I don't think it is because I just, my personality just doesn't have that much flair. You know, do I appreciate it? Uh... 100%. No. What about these sportier Cartiers though? Those with a less. No, I I'm actually not that sporty. <laughs> like, oh, right, right. I'm actually, okay. it's really weird because if you saw how I usually dress and Jack, I, I'm quite dress. I'm quite, you know, it would fit dress. Dress watches would fit. Mm -hmm. But um, I don't know. I need something less exciting, like something more mundane, and then maybe a tank, like you say. But then I feel like tank, you know, it's just so cliched with Cartier you know maybe there's something oh. you know more exciting you know there okay. are some there are some days when all you want to wear is just a tank like the most simple mundane cliche watch it's like comfort food right and, yeah well, and I, I will say I have a little flutter towards Cartier like after this podcast but I don't know if it'll last <laughs> fair enough <laughs> Fair enough. Um, okay, so last uh, but not least, our uh, pump pusher round, uh, which is basically just quick fire questions. First question, uh, very relevant to what we talked about. Uh, vintage Cartier or modern Cartier? Modern for me right now. Okay, maybe we'll revisit this question next time you come on. Uh, sure. Um, what's one book on Cartier that you would really recommend to someone who's trying to get into the brand? Yeah, Daniel. 
<laughs> I would say uh, The Tank Watch by Franco Cologni. He's a historian as well. And uh, his profession is, as a historian really comes through in the book. The, the research is really thorough. Um, there's a lot of information that you uh, never thought about the tank that actually exists. So actually for Daniel, uh, if you were to read that book, I believe you'll be a strong tank convert. It's called The Tank Watch by Franco Cologni. Okay. Yeah, I think that is like that is like the quintessential book. It, it, it not only uh, teaches you about the tank, but uh, wider, wider Cartier history in general. So that is okay. a book that I think you should really read. Can I, can I ask for support, more support and ask for a donation? <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. Jack, you know me too well. Really <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So this another question is, you have a lot of um, platinum Cartiers with the Ruby because I know you're a big fan of the Ruby. But right. if you had to choose one material for Cartier to wear for the rest of your life, Okay, on all models, what material mm -hmm. would you choose? Yellow gold for sure. In fact, I'm gravitating more towards yellow gold as of late. I think in the past year, my Cartier watch purchases are on yellow gold. Mm. I feel that yellow gold has uh, sort of more character to it, more warmth. And I feel that it just fits my skin tone better. So yeah, yellow gold for me. And it reminds you a lot of classic Cartiers as well, like the Cartier yeah. Londons. A lot of them were in yellow gold. It does. Yeah, that's... There's something about Cartiers and yellow gold that is uh, very romantic. Yeah. 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 Um, strap or bracelet, which is very relevant given the new releases. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> um, I'll say Cartiers look best 95% of the time on straps. Mm -hmm. It really accentuates the case. It really brings out the case more, which is what uh, we really love in, uh, for Cartier. I feel like bracelets on... Cartier cases would just um, sort of take away attention from the case, which is why uh, so far all my Cartiers are on are on straps. And if there was a bracelet version, most of the time I'll go for the uh, strap option as well. I agree. Um, what's one person in the Cartier within the Cartier community that you uh, have not met yet and would like to have dinner with? Oh, I actually love to meet Ronnie because uh, I would love to learn more about the vintage Cartier. You've never met him? Huge. No, I was actually uh, planning to meet him last year, but uh, our, our timing just didn't coincide. I actually texted him. Uh, I wanted to meet uh, on a particular uh, timing, but uh, our schedules just didn't collide. So mm. yeah, but I'm pretty sure one day I'll get to meet him. It'll be pretty cool. He's, he's a gentleman. I met him this time when I was in London. Uh, oh, nice. He is... He gets a watch every single week. That's what he told me. And I'm like, I don't know how you keep track of <laughs> where or where they are, but you'll have fun. You'll have fun talking to it. Definitely for sure. Yeah. Um, okay, then on to the non-watch related stuff. Um, where is one travel destination that you still want to go um that you have not been to? Ooh. I sure I really love to visit Venice. Mm. You know, uh, I've I've read stories about it. Uh, maybe eventually sinking and stuff. I don't know how true it is, but uh, yeah, I hope to visit before it. I mean, it's just like floating, floating paradise to me. It's really scenic. It's, yeah, I'll just visit, visit Venice. You're probably like the most romantic person probably ever on this podcast. <laughs> <You know? Really? laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I know it's a very romantic destination, right? Yeah, and romantic, I think, you know, Cartiers and Venice. I think I think like you'll you'll be able to find some cool Cartiers in in Italy, if you if yeah. you, um, yeah, okay. And then this question is, uh, from what we did last uh, yesterday, which is I thought was pretty good, is uh, one food that you haven't tried that you were on like. Well, how did you ask that question, Daniel? Like you're on the border <laughs> trying, but you have not tried. No, it was just uh, one food that you um, haven't tried, but you want to try. Oh. Um, crickets, actually. What? Crickets. <laughs> you know, in Thailand, they have these fried crickets, right? Or like around Southeast Asia. Apparently, they are very good, but... Uh... <laughs> yeah, you... Uh... Yeah, probably not the most most romantic person right now, but yeah, <laughs> fried crickets, fried <laughs> crickets. Or you know, you know, in Korea they have those uh pupa. Ah yeah. uh, yes. Those are very popular in Korea. Wait, yeah, those are also those very well. very popular in China as well. Ah right 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 okay. Yeah yeah. I'd love to try those. Yeah, wait, that's actually what I wanted to say. Like similar when when we asked that question yesterday, my my answer was going to be coconut worms. Oh, right. Insects. Like Cambodia. Yeah. Okay. Last question. And this is kind of like for me. Um, I've lived in Singapore uh for short periods of the time, but back then I wasn't really interested in watches. If I were to go to Singapore now, like what's one spot that you would you would recommend? View watches. View view watches, yeah. Um, there's this place called Heirloom Gallery. They specialize in uh, vintage watches and they have occasionally they have very nice uh, vintage Cartier pieces coming as well. And the uh, owner, Sean, is uh, very nice. He's very patient. He's very knowledgeable as well. So I believe you fit in there really well. Okay. It's, by, it's around Clarkie area. I'm not sure if you still know where that is. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I lived around Clarkie. Um, ah, right, 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 right. Okay, yeah. okay. Okay, well, yeah. to those who are listening, if you do end up going to Singapore, um, check out Heirloom Gallery. Sean and I have spoken before, but um, I've never okay. I've never been person. And there are more than just Cartier. There's like Paddock, uh, Independence, Rolexes. So you can check out that. Um, and thank you so much, Elvin, for, for coming on. We, we really dissected uh, the brand um, in terms of the conversation. And thank you, Daniel, for being such a good sport. <laughs> um and, and 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 vibing with us. So uh, if you have any questions, um, you know, email Daniel, uh, Alvin, or I. Um, and make sure to be following um Alvin at Watchrology on Instagram. We'll see you on the next one. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you so much, guys. As always, thank you for listening to the Waiting List Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to reach out to us at the Waiting List Podcast on Instagram or via our private accounts. We'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.